This is Blurring the Lines with Adam Bell and Peter Nicolaitis, IT entrepreneurs. Adam and Peter take on the topics of technology, business, life, and the pursuit of happiness and blur them together in the 21st century. Episode 5, Firewall. In this episode, Adam and Peter discuss the sometimes tedious task of filtering outbound firewall traffic. A little hard work from the network administrator will pay dividends. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, we have sort of a problem here. All right, Peter. We're going to move along in your white paper, 10 Critical Steps to Survive a Ransomware Attack. Um, it is a... 10-step uh, process, but I think we did add one to it, but we're going to continue on today with number four, with configuring your firewall to filter outbound traffic. Mm-hmm. Well, what, yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Right. And and I promise we're not going to get too technical this time. So if, if you heard those words that, uh, you know, that Adam just said, dear listener, don't be afraid. It's okay. Um. <laughs> For a little bit of backstory real real quick is a firewall it's a network security device something that you put on a computer network and its job is to decide whether to allow or to deny certain types of communications that's uh, that's it so you can think of it sort of like a security guard and it knows uh, who should and should not be allowed in and out and it can do this based on a number of criteria. It can either filter, say, by the person who is trying to come and go. It could, it could uh, filter by the person who you're trying to see, you're trying to get into, uh, to talk to. Or it could be the type of... Uh, the type of information that you're delivering. So, for example, uh, if we had a receptionist who's behind the security guard and the FedEx delivery man shows up with a package, uh, he may be allowed. Now, if it's some random Joe off the street, the security guard will probably not let this person in, even if random Joe says, well, I'm here to see the secretary. <laughs> so, but it all depends on the rules that have been set. Mm -hmm. uh, likewise, uh, a pizza delivery man may or may not be allowed. Maybe we don't allow deliveries. Um, maybe a pizza delivery man would be allowed to come into a specific like delivery zone, or maybe that FedEx guy could come into the delivery zone, but he's not allowed to go straight to the CEO of the company, for mm -hmm. example. So um, that's a that's a real world example. Now, uh, how how a firewall really works is it may do something like we will allow email traffic coming from the internet to our internal email server, or we will allow web surfing from any one of our desktop systems behind the firewall out to any uh, online shopping type website out on the internet. Or uh, we will not allow inbound email traffic to one of our desktop computers. So now you gotta think about this for a second. The email traffic, you may say, but I'm I'm using my desktop and I need to get email, so you need to allow that traffic in. Well, the not really. And what happens there is that when your machine wants to receive email, if you want to download it, 
First off, if your email server is on the premises, if it's with you, it's behind the firewall also. So it doesn't go out to the internet to get that. And second, if your email server is out on the internet, say it's Gmail or it's an Office 365 server or something similar, your communication, uh, your computer initiates the communication. So it starts the transaction and it says, hey, email server out there on the internet, I need some mail. And once that channel has been opened, then bi-directional communication, communications in both ways are allowed. So why do we care about this? (laughs) Most firewalls, uh, especially lower end firewalls that we see, are configured to allow nothing inside, nothing, nothing can come in by default, and anything can go out by default, right? So that is to say, any traffic that starts out on the internet, we're going to turn it off. Like, if you don't have an appointment to come in and see the CEO, you are not getting in, period. We don't allow deliveries. We don't care if it's a FedEx guy, some Joe off the street, or if it's pizza, we're not letting you in. Done. End of conversation. But we can make exceptions. So we can say, well, you know what, though? We have an internal web server. Our company web server is hosted here at the office. So we need to allow web traffic. Otherwise, it's not going to be a very effective web server. So we can make a rule which says allow inbound traffic. So if somebody out on the web, on the internet, out on the internet wants to access our corporate website, they can punch in www.example.com and boom, we will serve up a web page to them. So that's an example. Likewise, we can say if a FedEx, UPS, USPS delivery person shows up, they are allowed to go to the mailroom with their packages. Right, so we specialize. We specify that we can allow certain type of traffic from a certain destination to a specific destination, but we're not going to let that UPS guy just wander free through the building. He has to go straight down to the mailroom where he drops off the package, and then he has to leave. Now, what we also find, like I said, is most firewalls by default that we see are configured to allow anything out. Now, think about that. Uh, essentially it doesn't matter what type of traffic, what type of person it is, what they want to do, where they're going. If they want to come from inside our network and leave, they can do so and they can carry anything out that they feel like it. So let's imagine that in real world again, you have some uh, intellectual property, some trade secrets, or just some valuable data or, or tangible assets, cash, for instance. Let's say you work at a bank. Is anybody in the bank allowed to just walk out the door with anything that they might have stuffed in their pockets on the way out? Probably not, right? Well, and, and not only that, when, it, when they let it out, it's permanently open for them to keep coming back in as long as that session's alive. <laughs> right, right. I wasn't going to get into that. Oh, but okay. Yes. <laughs> but, but, but yes. So, so to, to, you know, to try to keep my point simple, we don't want to just let anybody walk out the door with anything that they could possibly you know, uh, have in their pockets with a destination of anywhere they might want to go. 
right? You know, you're basically saying that uh, Bob just left with, uh, and he took the company, uh, you know, all the company funds with him, and he's headed to Bermuda. Done. <laughs> and so is the company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we don't want to do that. So what we see with firewalls is they are often configured, again, to let any traffic out. And that means and this is where it becomes relevant to the ransomware discussion, that the computers that get affected with ransomware are allowed to talk to their command and control channels. Again, that's fancy you know, tech speak for the bad guy's servers. Mm-hmm. So they get infected, and now suddenly they have an open channel out to the bad guy and that gives the bad guy a foothold into your network. And then they can do all sorts of bad things. So the fix for this is to block any traffic that starts from your network and uh, only to start what's called whitelisting to allow legitimate, thought about, necessary traffic. So we're not going to let, for instance, anybody on our network send email out to anywhere on the internet. We may, however, allow any of our desktop systems, let's say we're using Gmail, for example, for our corporate email account, we may allow any of them to access Gmail, mm-hmm. okay? Or we may, we may not. We may say any email that comes has to go through our corporate mail server, which is here on the premises, and any of that email, like if you're on a desktop PC, it has to go through our email. There are many reasons to do this, too, not, not just ransomware. You may want to filter all of your outbound communications to make sure that, uh, say, your staff are not intentionally emailing intellectual property out the door. So this is something called data loss prevention. So you may not want your sales rep to walk away with the company contacts and then start up his own competing business, for example. Not that that ever happens. Not that I've ever dealt with that. But wait, yes, I have. Uh, So, and again, this is another one of those things. Uh, We did deal with this, actually. It was an auto dealership. And the sales rep had left and had taken a job somewhere else. And the owner of the company called me to find out, well, what can we do to stop this? I was like, well, wait, when did he leave? Well, like, you know, yesterday afternoon he quit. And I think he already took the data with him. And I just sat there and pondered for a moment. I was like, it's not like we can get it back. (laughs) He's he's gone. He already took the stuff out the door. It's a little Mm -hmm. late for that. So, um, you know, if we had put some thought into this ahead of time, Maybe we could have done something about it, but they didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So essentially what this means is, and again, like I said, this isn't going to get too technical because this is something that you need to have a qualified firewall expert doing. You don't want to just, I wouldn't even say just have your, you know, your average everyday IT guy should be doing this because there's so many little points that can be overlooked. You want to have your firewall configuration reviewed and tested. That's an important thing. Just because you put a bunch of rules in place doesn't mean they're working the way you want them to. You mm-hmm. know, 
So you want to put in these rules and have them tested and make sure that your firewall is allowing what's necessary and also blocking what's not necessary. Uh, this will keep you safer in a ransomware attack because you may be blocking the outbound communication so that the machine can't phone home, it can't get its marching orders, and maybe can't encrypt all your stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But it also, again... Um, makes it uh there there are many other reasons number one you may be able to more effectively stop file sharing services things like BitTorrent or eDonkey things that probably don't have a business you know a legitimate business use uh and if they do you almost certainly don't need to give everybody access to these things uh and it will also funnel all of your outbound traffic through something like your web firewall, your web proxy, or your email filter, which can then also make sure you're not sending email viruses as well as receiving them. Mm-hmm. And it also can you know, confine your network to their official business use and not waste a lot of time and not waste your company resources. And that includes your employees and their time. Mm-hmm. So that's why you would want to do this. Now, um, when by the time this goes live, this, uh, this audio episode is uh, live, the uh, corresponding white paper and the blog post will be out, and they have a diagram which illustrates how this could work a little differently. It's a little harder to explain it, um, so that's why I went the, the route you did. But if you want a visual aid, we'll include this in the show notes as well. Well, and, and I'd also like to reiterate where, what you were talking about as a qualified technician doing this. Uh, if you've got a part-time uh, IT technician who's going to block the outbound traffic, you want to make sure that they have availability after they've blocked traffic because <laughs> you'll be surprised how many ports you actually need. And, you know, you might be able to get to the web portion of whatever that is, you know, you may be able to get the home page of some service that you actually use, but not be able to use all the functionality of the page because they can't get to all the ports that are needed, yep. you know? So all that to say, just, uh, it's, this is a very valuable thing to do. It's also a little tedious at times. Yep. So you don't want to, to do this. And then your tech go, I'm going on, va- I'm going to do this on Friday, but I'm going to be on vacation all next week. It, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be a big deal. Not at all. Shouldn't be a big mm, deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If they say that, then you say, let's wait until you're back. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that gets back to the whole part of testing everything. You want to make sure you test all of your applications after any firewall change, make sure that you can access all of your websites that you might need to access, make sure all of the programs that interact with the internet function properly. Uh, We see that a lot too. It's a little bit of an aside, but it's worth mentioning. Um, I, I can't remember how many times we've gone into uh, a certain location. We've made some changes and we've you know gotten the client to sign off and say, okay, we have tested all of our applications. Yep, we made sure everything worked, everything worked, everything worked. And then we get a phone call a day or two or a week or even a month later saying, this service that I have, you know, whatever, this, this, this application, it's not working. And it happened when you guys made the change to the firewall, to which we always say, I thought you tested it. Oh, well, I didn't test that one. 
Uh-huh. And of course we sigh, we shake our heads, we feel, you know, we feel badly for what's going on, but you know, then we say, well, next time please really test things when you say you're going to test them. Uh-huh. So so basically just test everything. Don't trust, you know, it's called trust but verify. Make sure that the uh the changes are doing exactly what you expect them to. Yeah. And that, I think, is about all I have to say on this. Yep. Me too. Cool. To contact either us or our guests, visit BlurringTheLinesPodcast.com. If you like what you're hearing, do us a solid and subscribe to our podcast. And leave us a five-star review in iTunes, Google Play Store, or wherever you found us.